When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. These two guys have Minnesota sports flowing in their veins. Mackie and Judd on Score North and scorenorth.com. But defensively, that's what matters. And I think that's what you have to win on this road trip, that defense is what's going to keep you in the game and give you a chance to win. And that's all you want in the, the day. So if you're, if you're taking steps defensively what you, like we did tonight, then you end up losing by, you know, 10-plus points to the Timberwolves. No disrespect to them. Give them credit. They played well, but that's unacceptable. <laughs> that was Tristan Thompson, who's played on championship teams. You know, he, he knows what a championship team looks like. But uh, if you missed the first part of that rant, it's all over Twitter. It has F-bombs and stuff, and so we... Uh, we only played part of that clip, but he basically said, yeah, we should have won all four games on this road trip because all four of these teams aren't trying to win. I mean, the Timberwolves you know, got some guys, but uh, that was amazing. Doogie is here. Boys, it is Reckless Speculation Thursday to all who celebrate. Reckless Speculation. How are we feeling today? Judd, what's going on? Which bobblehead do you have there? Rodney Klein Carew, one of two, because I've also got a Carew 1970s road jersey twins one. Wow, but I'm going right with the home 1970s <laughs> look. But let, let me just say this about that Wolves game, because I went last night. The first half set basketball back probably 65 years. <laughs> that is one of the most inept. I mean, if I could shoot at all, I would say I can shoot better than the wolves or kings, but I can't shoot, so I'm not. Yeah, there's there's, there's, there's video shit. evidence there's of video, you shooting. Right, so right, but I'm telling you right now, the first half. If if you like basketball after that, after the first half last night, you love basketball. You don't just like <laughs> basketball; you love basketball. But then Duke's aunt looked around the room after you know an hour and a half, and he's like, "All right, this is stupid. I'm just gonna." I'm just going to take the game over now in the final 12 minutes, and uh, and he, then he made a reference to uh, to Finchie at halftime. Finchie. You know, we, we don't want Finchie getting out of character and yelling at us, so I figured I had to do something. So, what would you make of that last night? Well, I mean, how many free throws did he attempt last night? I still want to see him take it to the hoop more, but yeah. when the three point shot is going, by the way, happy reckless speculation Thursday. When his three point shot is going, fine. And yeah, I mean, he was brilliant in the fourth quarter, carried them to victory. As far as Tristan Thompson goes, he's not wrong. He is wrong about his own team because Sacramento, <laughs> in many ways, is a dumpster fire. But yeah, it's like, what, what team do you play about, for, buddy? Like, what? Yeah, OKC, <laughs> Detroit. In fact, you know, those two aforementioned franchises, I was talking to somebody in one of those front offices the other day. He fully admitted, we're okay winning 2021 games. He goes, have you seen the top of next summer's draft? 
which includes Chet Holmgren, Twin Cities native. But you think about the young man, Ben Charo at Duke, some other guys. It is a really good draft to have another really high pick. So Detroit, Oklahoma City, Houston, those franchises have no problem, you know, for lack of a better term, tanking so they can end up with, you know, what they hope is a top five pick next June. Yeah. So, Dukes, what what is the opportunity here, and what do you think the odds are that uh, Sachin Gupta, one, has the power, and two, has the ability um, to do some tweaking of this roster? Because we've discussed this before, but it's just quite clear. Like, they definitely have some parts. They've got players I like, okay? Some players. But it's just crystal clear in watching this team consistently that the actual construction is not near complete yet. Like there, and, and we've talked about this, but like with a, with a Pobo who doesn't have the Pobo title and with the opportunities that we don't know, like who's okaying what. I mean, this team needs a power forward so badly that, that and I'm not saying old school, you know, you're, you're not going to get McHale in McHale's prime, but I'm just, I'm just saying somebody to sort of impose their will with the right height and weight, and they lack that almost completely. So what do you think the odds are that this team either looks to make that trade, and if they don't, like, I just think we're going to see a lot of the same things, which is up and down inconsistency. And if, if a guy gets hot, that's great. But if he doesn't, it's really hard to consistently compete with the current construction of what they're trying to do lineup-wise. Sachin Gupta has leeway. He has permission to make moves. He has been active. He has been on the phone. He has run into executives in person. He was at Madison Square Garden last week, scouting some of those college kids. Inevitably, you run into other executives. You know, names come up. Heck, if Sacramento keeps losing, you could probably pry Tristan Thompson out of Sacramento. Although, you consider his personal life history... Carl Anthony Towns' current girlfriend. I'm not quite sure you want Tristan and (laughs) Kat in the same locker room. That might be a little weird. But Tristan Thompson, the player, could actually help this roster. Sachin Gupta is well aware, Judd, that he has the smallest roster in the NBA. But teams are just not willing to do much right now. I think it'll change pretty quick. Like a different NBA executive was telling me the other day, Toronto, for example. I don't have specific names, but if you look at Toronto's roster, Toronto is looking to do some things sooner rather than later. Chris Boucher, Birch, I mean, they have some backup bigs that maybe could appeal to the Wolves. I don't necessarily know if there's a match, but that would be one team I would keep an eye on. I think Leon Rose in New York is looking to do some things. Heck, they lost at home last night to the Orlando Magic. That's another franchise, by the way. Plenty happy to have another top five type pick. So there are teams that are going to be willing to do some things. I still think Indiana is a fascinating situation. They lost to the Pistons the other night. Miles Turner is getting a lot of minutes. He's blocking a lot of shots, but he's not taking many shots. I mean, I just don't know what Rick Carlisle is trying to accomplish with Miles Turner. So I still think that's an intriguing name. I've told you guys for weeks that I know that there are Turner fans here in Minnesota. So those would be some of the franchises I would look at, but, yeah, when you have Houston and OKC and, you know, some others, Orlando, as I mentioned, you know, any vets on those rosters, trust me, as we get closer to that February 10th trade deadline, those franchises will have no problem moving, guys. Duke, I'm, I'm going to boil the conundrum down to one question for you here. And I, 
when I ask this question, I, I also think the Wolves are going to win potentially like three of the next four games or maybe even go on a four-game win streak. So No, they should, right? Like San Antonio is still figuring yes. things out. You better Pelicans. win tonight. Okay, Memphis toss-up game on Saturday, but you should win that game here. Then New Orleans on Monday, Phil, you better win that game. Yep, you should be you should be winning some games here. But my question is, why don't they win more games with Cat and D'Lo as the main superstar one-two punch? Well, I mean, let's look at the most recent loss, Monday to Phoenix. Cat, incredibly hot, even hot early fourth quarter. How many times did he touch the ball final two and a half minutes? He did take a shot with like 340-ish left on the clock. He made a, he he made really a three with the ball. three and a half left. He made a three. Yeah, and, then he, and yeah. I mean, he was clearly the best player on the court. Like, don't you need to get the best player the ball now? No, it's for the D-Lo most time. part. That's D-Lo time. I wasn't, you know what though, Phil? I wasn't bothered outside of one. I wasn't overly bothered by Russell's shot selection. Like, I thought a lot of those looks were fine looks. Now, he told us yesterday that he doesn't like the new ball. So if he doesn't like the new ball, if he's then still don't trying shoot, to figure out the then, okay, then the don't ball, shoot seven yeah, don't times shoot as often as you do. <laughs> Correct. Yeah, because you can't have it both ways. And it was a question that Dane Moore presented to him about the way the officials are, are officiating the game differently. And he spun it. It wasn't a question about the ball. He said his problem is, forget the officials. He goes, my problem is with the ball. You know, and then there were a couple follow-up questions. So D'Angelo went on a nice little rant about the ball. So, yeah, I'm with you. If you're still figuring out the grip of this new basketball, don't shoot the ball so often. But I'm just telling you, looks-wise on Monday, I wasn't bothered by a lot of those looks. The one thing that man can do is make shots. He's not a playmaker, even though at times he suggests he's a playmaker. He's not a playmaker. He's not somebody that gets to the free-throw line. So I guess from that standpoint, yeah, I mean, the official's question, it doesn't impact him like it does others because he's not one that gets to the free-throw line to begin with. Defensively, he's a minus player. The one mm-hmm. thing he can do is make shots. So I don't have a problem with a lot of those shots, but it's oftentimes a conundrum like that, Phil, where they can't figure out you know, who to get the ball to. It's a lot of hero ball. It's a lot of one pass, then shoot. They've had a lot of meltdowns in fourth quarters. You think about the Orlando fourth quarter. I mean, there are other examples, but that's the one that comes first to mind. So, I mean, it's any number of, of different reasons. The weird thing is, Phil, this team is excellent defensively. They deserve all sorts of credit for how well they are defending. But Chris Finch, brilliant offensive mind. I still believe he is a brilliant offensive mind. But where is that brilliance? I mean, offensively, they are one of the five worst teams in the NBA. Okay. So fire the sounder, because this brings up a question that I actually texted to Phil yesterday. Speculation. I would like both of you to go back and forth on what Dukes just broached because, you know, as much as this pains me to, to say, because Finchie's my age, I love him. I mean, he looks 65 and I look 52. But that being said, what's the timetable here to, to decide what Dukes just said, which is because we keep saying, like, we can say all, all we want. Guy's a def- you know, guy's an offensive genius. What's the timetable to decide that? And how good of coach do we think, I should say, how good of head coach do we think Finchie is? You want to go first, Phil, or you want me to go first? Uh, you go first. Go ahead. I think he's a good coach, Judd. I, I do. I think, look at last year. Uh, this is a guy that that has deserved this opportunity 
for a really long time. Yeah, the process stunk. Having Ryan Saunders get on that jet to fly to New York, that stunk. But the end result, giving Chris Finch a chance to be a head coach, you know, a lot of people in the league will tell you he was very deserving. And I'm telling you, we saw some of that offensive brilliance the final, what, 16, 18 games last year. They finished the final 16 games last year with a winning record. So I am willing to give him, you know, a much longer leash. But so far, this sample size of, what is it, 14, 15 games, it has been atrocious. But it's also a roster with so many warts that I would love to see Chris with a roster that at least has a little bit more size with a four-man that can do a little bit more than what Jared Vanderbilt can do. Now, that being said, Vanderbilt, you know, Energizer Bunny, right? I mean, the energy is is contagious in many ways. I think Jared Vanderbilt is a rotation guy in the NBA. He deserves minutes, but he's not a starter. So until the roster is fixed for Chris, I don't want to, like, you know, have any final opinion on him, you know, write his Timberwolves coaching obituary, anything like that, because I'm not quite sure Eric Spolstra, who to me is the best coach in the NBA. I'm not convinced if Eric Spolstra was here right now that this team would have four or five more wins. Yeah, that's where I – so here's my thought on it. So Cat and D'Lo – in their careers combined, like what, 11 plus, what, 11, 12 seasons combined, they are like 160 games below 500 in their NBA careers. Both of them have had one decent season. D'Lo with that Nets team like three years ago that uh, they finished 42 and 40 and snuck into the playoffs and then got waxed by the Sixers in the first round. And then they traded everyone for Kyrie and Kevin Durant. And they then did, the- but remember, they were so bad early on. He does deserve credit, as does, you know, Joe Harris, some others with the Nets at the time for getting out of that hole because they could have curled up in the fetal position. very. I'm not saying he's Rashad McCants. I'm just saying, like, you know, he he hasn't been he hasn't carried teams and mediocre rosters to like if there's a mediocre roster, it usually sinks with or without D'Lo is what I'm saying. And the same thing for Cat. So Cat's one big season. And he's and I love Cat. He's one of the best offensive players in the NBA. But there is some there's something missing from a leadership standpoint. And the one winning season for him was with Jimmy Butler, you know, three or four years ago. And and again, like they're losing games again this year. They're losing to the Magic. They're losing to the Pelicans. Have two wins, one against the Timberwolves. So how much of it is Chris Finch is coming in here and he's being asked to make winners out of a group and two superstars that have never really been winners before? And how much of it is maybe Finch is in a little bit over his head. I mean, ultimately, the job is Carl Anthony Towns, D'Angelo Russell, Anthony Edwards, and then peripheral pieces that might not be perfect. And you have to make it a winning collection somehow. And I'm with you. Like, I, I would be curious to see a better roster, for one. But I would also be curious to see, all right, if you took, like, the three or four best coaches in the NBA, what could they get out of Cat and D'Lo? Or are those guys just kind of, like, is it whether it's partially their fault or partially just the environments that they've been bouncing around in, are they just too far gone in their mid-20s now? They've been in the league too long. They've seen too much losing basketball. Like, Dukes, the fourth quarter against the Suns, such an amazing contrast, right? The Suns know exactly who they are in the fourth quarter. It's elbow jumpers from Chris Paul. It's elbow jumpers from Devin Booker. It's pick and roll. It's DeAndre Ayton. Like, they know exactly what they're going to do to you, and you know what they're going to do, and you still can't stop it. The Wolves don't even know where to start when they're trying to protect a fourth quarter lead. They don't know if Ant should be driving or if D'Lo should be shooting or if Cat should get the ball. Like, 
they don't know who they are after six or seven years in the NBA. And I don't care that they haven't played together. Like, if you don't know, if you're Cat and D'Lo and you don't know how to win a game in the fourth quarter at this point in your careers, I'm worried that they're sort of too far gone. So that's that's my spiel. Well, and that's a good rant, Phil. I don't disagree with what you just said. I mean, Monday was a reminder that Chris Paul is one of the greatest players, certainly greatest point guards of all time, that he is that much of a difference maker. Monty Williams is an excellent coach. He's a guy the Wolves had interest in a number of years ago. In terms of Cat and D'Lo, here's what I can tell you, Phil. There are coaches around the league that would love to coach Cat, that they feel like there's more there, that they can unearth more, yeah. that with the right pieces around him, hey, bring Cat to me, and yeah, we'll get him at least close to the promised land, maybe not hoisting that NBA championship trophy, but hey, we can make a run in the playoffs with Cat on our roster. There are a number of teams that would love to trade for Carl Anthony Towns. Are there a number of teams that would love to trade for D'Angelo Russell? No. Heck <laughs> No. Maybe one or two. I'm not suggesting like the number is zero, but it's a very small number. Like I'm telling you, on one hand, like that's it. Like you're not getting beyond, you know, the five fingers on one hand. You're just he's not. a dude. I mean, dude he just, I, he's I'm a sorry, Phil. I, I correspond with a lot of people in the league. I just don't hear a lot of positivity about D'Angelo Russell. That's the truth. I think he's a. I think if if you're planning on having a playoff team that can make a run and go deep and you know be in the Western Conference Finals. I think D'Lo is your sixth man, 23 minutes off the bench, scoring punch guy. Now, is, and he is can he... score. That's the one thing I'm yep. telling you. I still think he is an elite shot maker. I really firmly believe that. He can do that. He could be a Vinnie Johnson way back in the day. Michael Jamal Crawford. Type. Yes, he can do that. He absolutely can do that. But, you know, in terms of leading a franchise, uh, you know, initiating offense, all that, playing 38 minutes a night, you're probably right. It's just it's Doubtful it's going to happen on a winning team. Yeah, maybe 42 and 40, but he's not going to lead a team, you know, to 50 or 55 wins, something like that. Now, in his defense, how many coaches has he been through? Yeah, Heck, how many fair. coaches has Carl Anthony Towns been through? That's fair. How many different teammates have these guys been through? There's been zero continuity. So, off that point, though, here's my question about last night. Because both teams couldn't make shots it was pathetic like it was really hard to watch and and that's a game where i think if you have a star like a superstar player like cat he says screw this it's i'm I'm just going to go win this game like like there's going to be no great uh fourth quarter comeback or rally because i'm going to end this game And, and carl proceeds to have i believe six shots from the field in both halves is that a finch thing is is that the the old um, is Cousins checking down or is he told to? That's the one thing I don't get because like I was waiting and feeling last night like Carl just take the game like just take this game by the throat. It's an awful game and end it. Um, and he got six shots per half, twelve shots total. So who who do we think that's on? Because like that's what I want my definitive veteran star to do. I want him to take that game and say. I'm going to play a huge role in in putting an end to this crap now. That didn't happen. I'm going to get real quick before Doogie jumps in. I'm going to give you more context there, too. So it's not just a last night problem. He's third on the team in shot attempts behind Edwards and D'Angelo Russell, despite having one of the best uh, effective field goal percentages, which takes into account the context of your shots and everything. He has one of the best effective field goal percentages in the NBA. He's one of the most efficient scorers in the NBA. 
Now, can he create his own shot like Anthony Edwards? No, not not, not that he's incapable of creating his own right. offense because he can drive to the hoop, but it is much more than just a last night problem to fix for sure. It is, and on last night, like, I'll give Cat credit. He saw Ant-Man getting hot there in the fourth. Get the ball to the hot hand. I'm saying That's first why half. Monday is so maddening. Like, on Monday, Cat was that hot hand. They had to find a way to get right. him but, touches those final seven, eight possessions. But Duke's, I think Duke's, Judge, I'm he's, got, half. he's got the green light. I'm telling you. Like, there was one well, opportunity. He beat a guy right block. There was a switch, smaller man on him. Ball goes to him. He turns toward the basket. He had a look, and he ends up kicking the ball to the corner. I don't know if you remember, Judd, that specific play. But I turned to Joe Schmidt in our office. We were watching on TV. You were at Target Center. I was watching on TV. I said, what is Cat doing there? That's a prime opportunity to get a shot up, a good shot up, and he's kicking the ball to the corner. Mm-hmm. I think it's more a Cat problem. That's not on Finch. Trust me. Finch has no problem if Cat takes 24 shots. If Cat takes 25 shots in tonight's game, Finch doesn't have a problem with that. Yeah. Interesting. Um, all right, Dukes, let's, uh, let's, cause you know, you got to get out and uh, do your A job here for five eyewitness news. So um, let's go, uh, let's go Vikings here. Vikings Packers week. Vikings have had all sorts of injury and COVID issues. It sounds like Bradbury was back uh, running with the ones yesterday. What else are you hearing about the Vikings as they lead up to their first game against the Packers? Well, awaiting word. So Brian O'Neill, DJ Wanham, I am told both tested positive for COVID yesterday morning. They retested sometime later, a couple hours later. Those test results were negative. So now we await word on the testing this morning. Hopefully both test negative. They can use both on Sunday. Certainly their best offensive lineman, but even in DJ Wanham's case, like you think about Kenny Willekes, who I thought played well in Baltimore. He then tests positive for COVID. He is vaccinated, so he misses, though, the Chargers game. But now I'm told he has not produced two consecutive negative tests. So he feels fine. I'm told Kenny Willekes feels fine. But until you produce those two negative tests, you cannot rejoin the team. So it's entirely possible Kenny Willekes feeling fine doesn't play on Sunday. So then you're down to, like, new guy, old guy, but new guy, Yarbrough. Like, you need DJ Wanham on Sunday. So that's what I'm awaiting word on. I just checked again. No word back. I'm sure the testing is done. We're just now in the process of awaiting results. Now, Brian and DJ may have those results, but I just don't have the results quite yet. But that's what I'm keeping an eye on this morning, the Brian O'Neill and DJ Wanham test results. Also, Mackenzie Alexander and Chris Herndon, were listed as out of practice yesterday, non-injury related. I have a hunch of what's going on there, but until I get more definitive word, I don't want to say much, but we'll also keep an eye on Alexander and Herndon. Uh, Smith is back on against the Packers, correct, at safety? He is, and Judd, I mean, you know, unvaccinated, but COVID right. didn't hit him. I mean, he's he, he's been fine. Like, it didn't beat him up. You know, just it impacts people different ways. Dakota Dozier, vaccinated, ends up in the hospital. Thankfully, he's out of the hospital now. But mm-hmm. yep. like it just it hits people different ways. Harrison Smith was fine the entire time, but being unvaccinated, he was forced to miss the two games. But yeah, he's back. He'll play on Sunday. All right. Any other uh, rapid fire scoops for us here, Dukes? Well, I mean, 
the twin situation to me is so fascinating. Oh God, don't get me started. <laughs> Phil, oh I God. think don't, I might have I to think, leave. and I don't say this lightly. I think there's some split opinion on what to do with Buxton. Dude, then fire, every, some, then, then fire everyone who wants to trade him well, for 50 agreed. cents on the dollar. That There's some that say, yeah, he breaks down too much. Let's get a big return right now. I think there's a, big, a big return. Yeah, Transformational right. talent. Let's give him well over $100 million guaranteed. There's no doubt in my mind that trading Buxton would be incredibly hard for Jim Polad. But I do think if Derek Falvey calls Jim and says, it. hey, the Yankees, the Dodgers, you know, some other teams, maybe the Marlins even, hey, they're willing to give us – this, 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 and this, this package is too good to turn down. I don't think Jim is going to block any sort of trade. But I, just, you... I, find, I find the situation fascinating because I'm telling you, I, just, I don't Hold sense on. that there's a universal opinion on what to do. Hold on. Are you telling me that the owner wants to keep Buxton and, and the baseball ops people might be leaning towards trying to trade him? And then why, why doesn't Jim just for once in his life step in and say, we're signing him? Well, I mean, Jim's not going to do that. I'm not saying that that Jim is is completely 100% anti a trade, but if you talk to Jim, I'm pretty positive he'll tell you I want Byron Buxton here long term, but he is going to defer to his baseball folks. I mean, this isn't Jerry Jones. I mean, you know, he's he's not going to get in the middle of it. You know, I mean, he hired these guys for a reason. They have final say in the roster. But what I'm suggesting is I'm not convinced everybody in that organization, forget ownership, go down from there. I'm not convinced everybody in that organization is on the same page. Dude. I'm telling you, I just I get the sense some say, yeah, we need to keep this guy. And others are saying, yeah, yeah let's get what we can. All these teams want him. All these teams approached us last week at the GM meetings in Carlsbad. There's a lot of trade interest in Buck. Let's get this enormous return for him. You know, I we've been pretty pretty frontal, I think. We, we really haven't talked a lot of twins since the trade deadline because – Listen, the NFL season was ramping up. The Wolves and the Wild were going to be interesting. And so we've probably only talked twins on this show about four times since the trade deadline, aside from just some sprinklings here and there. But, you know, I still don't think it's being – I don't think a big enough deal is being made out of just how pathetic the twins have been in the playoffs for 20 years and in all of their moves last offseason. They whiffed on every single thing they did, literally everything from the relievers and the starters they brought in to trading Lamont Wade Jr., late-night Lamont, to what wound up being the best team in baseball, the San Francisco Giants, for a reliever that they released in, like, May. Um, And I just, I don't know, I just kind of feel like, I don't want to start a media war here, but the Twins were really, like, they really got off without a lot of criticism, and maybe it was just apathy, but... I don't know, man. I'm, I'm, I was so high on this front office a couple of years ago when they built the most powerful home run hitting team in baseball history, and now it's like if you trade Byron Buxton, you're literally going into a multi year rebuild. That's what, like, that's where we've come in the last two years. Now I will say, re-signing Nelson Cruz, which turned into Joe Ryan and another promising young arm. I guess that was what the one positive move, but yeah. You're right, Phil. I mean, heck, I'm still upset that they were foolish enough not to add Nick Anderson, my guy, to the 40-man roster a few years ago. They have swung and missed on a number of of moves. Now, heck, they tried to sign Corey Kluber last winter. That would not have worked out. They tried to sign Kirby Yates. That would not have worked out. Heck, at one point, they had a conversation about Marcelo Zuna. That would not have worked out. That was more leverage to convince Nelson to re-sign. But yeah, like I saw a quote from Falvey in, in some story because, you know, he held court with some reporters last week suggesting that they're still formulating their offseason plan. Here's an idea. 
be like the Tigers. Be aggressive. Now, I'm told, actually, I tweeted that they were not in on Eduardo Rodriguez. I'm told his name came up internally, and there was at least one external conversation. But, like, they didn't make an offer for Eduardo Rodriguez. Go find a guy. The slowness of Major League Baseball free agency baffles me. Go identify a guy or two. Make what you consider a fair offer as opposed to trying to, you know, get every deal to be a team-friendly, you know, transaction. Go make a nice offer like the Tigers did with Eduardo Rodriguez. Go sign a guy right when free agency opens. And I just don't get why this front office can't think along those lines. Yeah. Amen. Amen. There he is, Darren Doogie Wolfson from the Scoop Podcast and Five Eyewitness News. All right, we'll send you off so you can do your your uh, your A job here. We'll talk to you next week, dude. Sure, okay, DG. sounds good. Off the bottom with Ryan Suter. Judd, you're going to be at Target Center tonight? You're not going to the Wild game? I'm going to the Wild, wild game. game. I'm not going to the Wolves right. game tonight. <laughs> Get the Spurs. Don't worry. I will be. I will be. I won't be there, but I got, I'll be all in that. on the Wolves tonight. Back Saturday, to back, baby. Saturday, Memphis, though. The Grizzlies in town. All right. See that you, gets you excited. All right. All right. See ya. Bye-bye. All right, there he is. Darren yeah. Doogie Wolfson here. Reckless speculation. Yeah. I, I love also after the game, Anthony Edwards was saying, yeah, Pat Beverly told us whatever we, whatever we did on the back-to-back in L.A., to just get smoked by the Clippers the next night. Don't do that. Just play video games until you fall asleep. That was the tonight. best part. He th- he then said, so I'm going to go home, which basically means they all hit the town. Yeah. That's my favorite part. He basically said, yeah, we're not supposed to do what we did a- after we beat the Lakers last Friday and then insinuated we went out and had a great time. But, like, but, but a couple of things here. It's, it's like, okay, you guys, covered. all you guys have houses in L.A. anyways in the off seasons. So you can go spend time in L.A., on a back-to-back in which your season is, I'm not going to say it's on the line because it's early, but, like, you got off to a really slow start and you need to get your asses going, right? And you're, like, you're not doing everything you can on that back-to-back to get yeah. enough rest. And, like, do you, I just feel like the Wolves are a very unserious team for the most part. You know, like, Cat talks a big game, but D'Lo throughout his entire yeah. career has been an unserious well, guy. It's... Pat Bev, Pat Bev is is the one like true professional, right? And he told him what you did last time was really dumb. I love the notion that these teams go on trips and that look they like t- turn into fun. Like since when is a bleeping professional sports team road trips? Well, hey, it's a, like a field trip. Let's go out and have a lot of fun. <laughs> like crazy. you're Phil, you're exactly right. You can go back. Like the big story in football is. Ron Rivera is going back to Carolina for the first time as Washington coach. And how is he going to spend all his time there? And he's like, it's a business trip. What are you? It's like Ron Rivera can go back to Carolina all he wants yeah. from the months of what? Uh, February, basically, through July. Yes. Well, for pro- pro- probably January through July, really. Yeah. yeah because... but, don't, but don't you love this notion that, you know, oh, we're going on the road. It's going to be. What? I know. And, but, it, but and it's different. Way. Like if you're, you know, if, if you're a perennial playoff team or you've got, you know, if you're Giannis, the Bucks are off to a slow start this year and they're injured and stuff. You know, if Giannis wants to go out for a couple extra hours on the road, sip some champagne, you know, hang out with some buddies, go to the club, whatever. He won a championship three months ago. I think we can all, we can all live yeah. with that. But if you're a franchise that. that for 17 years has been trying to dig out from being this embarrassment, Maybe go to bed at nine thirty. Well, I know the the game gets. Like, maybe go to bed at like midnight and uh, sleep for nine hours and rent a hyperbaric so, chamber or something. So what's up with the cat shooting stat? Well, like I find that to be really intriguing. Well, it's and, like it's it's. I mean, he's like that. That efficiency is there every year. He's right. one of the most efficient offensive players in the NBA. But when you're playing the Kings, like last night, you, I'm sure 
that you watch that game. Last night, that was a game because the Kings aren't good. That was the game where I, I just thought, okay, Cat, end this game. Like, just basically put your put your mark on this game. And I'm not talking about the fourth quarter. I'm talking about the first half. Yeah. And he had six shots. He had six shots in each so, half. How about this? This is nuts. So among guys who shoot the ball 15 times or more per game, so the guys who like the heavy volume offensive players, because like Rudy Gobert is the most efficient offensive player, but he only shoots seven times a game, and all of his shots are just dunks at the rim. Sure. So among guys who have a diverse offensive portfolio, you know, shoot the ball 15 plus times per game. Here are the rankings in order right now for effective field goal percentage. And just to overexplain this, and then we'll get in, we got to get into this uh, Ryan Suter, Zach Parisi story here in a second here too. But uh, it, so effective field goal percentage adjusts for the fact that a three point field goal is worth more points, obviously than a two. So if you have a higher three point percentage, you are therefore a more efficient uh, offensive player. Okay. Nikola Jokic is number one mm-hmm. in effective field goal percentage. Mm-hmm. Kevin Durant is number two. Carl Anthony Towns is number three. Steph Curry is number four. Yeah. I'm going to keep going down here. Um, Jalen Brown, Zach Levine. <laughs> The guy Phil Mackey wanted to keep over Andrew Wiggins. And Giannis yeah. round, rounds out the list of guys who shoot the ball at least 15 times in a game. Okay. So, again, some of it is why aren't his teammates in the last, especially that game against the Suns. Like, Agree completely on that And one. I don't care. I know that D'Lo can make shots too, but when you have a guy that's just nuclear hot no. and always efficient, yeah. you should be looking to feed him the ball schematically or just or just if – I get that Chris Finch's system is a little bit more of a – it's a structure, and you guys are supposed to sort of figure it out within the structure. But the other thing here, too, is let's let's not let Cat off the hook. I think back all the time to Kevin Garnett, you know, growing up watching him in the 90s, early 2000s, and he is demanding the ball in certain situations, right? I mean, for him it was low block, post up, clap, give me the MF and ball, right? Like that's not Cat's personality. But Cat needs to figure out a way in those moments to be a leader and say whether it's a timeout or whether it's like in the middle of a possession, hey, right here, like ball goes through me, like right. And why isn't it acknowledged in those situations that he's the man, especially when he has sixteen points? So it's just I don't know if it's Finch, if it's if it's Cat's teammates, if it's partially Cat, or it's probably just a combination of all three. They just need to be more aware of it because that's an that's an incredible list. I, it's literally like MVPs and Hall of Famers and Cat in terms of most off- efficient offensive players. And the Suns game was was uh, maddening from the standpoint of he's hot and D'Lo decides it's my game now, which is ridiculous. But last night, you're playing a bad team, and that's where where Cat should have said, okay, I'm going to do this. This is not that hard. Instead, he's throwing fastball passes. He hit a fan with a pass last night. He Damn throwing, near killed he's, he's the He's throwing fan. very hard passes. <laughs> I don't know who he thinks he is exactly, but he's throwing these. And, and they're like passes off of things that he could have easily just gone and gotten fouled or, or he, got a shot. He so had one. He had, I put last night on him the, more than coaching. There was one play, uh, I think it was like late in the second quarter or something. And so Kat's got his – he's kind of up by the elbow. He's got his back to the basket, and he gets doubled. And Beasley or someone flashes under the hoop, and he just throws like a no look, yes, missile bounce pass that just whizzes out of bounds. Yes. It's like, what do you? All right, dude. Right. So I don't know, but 
that's a good win last night. The Kings are not a bad team. I think the Kings are probably going to fire, uh, what's his name, Luke uh, Walton. Luke Walton here at some yeah. point. But um, rack up some wins here against some teams oh, that yeah. you should be beating in the next few games. Tonight, beat Pop. So uh, Mackie and Judd here, daily Minnesota sports entertainment. And last night, so uh, my friend Brady Farkas, who does radio up in Vermont, and he is part of a podcast called, uh, I believe it's called the uh, Eleve, uh, sorry, the Elevate O2, Elevate O2 podcast. Mm-hmm. And they had Tori Mitchell, former Wild player, like two-year run with the Wild, like 2012, 13 mm-hmm. into 14. And uh, Dex is going to play this clip. I'm just going to say we've all kind of thought, and now there's more stories that have come out since Suter and Parisi have left, like the Wild franchise really catered, like overly catered to these two guys. Here's a great example of the Wild franchise catering to Parisi and Suter several years ago. Just a specific story. Uh, I'm, dating, I'm thinking back of when I was in Minnesota and Parisi and Suter come in and they bought houses in this town called Edina. And they liked when we practiced in, at Edina instead of the game rink which Minnesota is unique. The game rink is also your practice facility. Um, They said, well, because the high school, the Dinah high school rink is open, we'd like to practice there. And they lived like five minutes away. So Hmm. halfway through the season, we're practicing in a Dinah high school, like three days a week. That's the power they had early on. And then there's, (laughs) there's, but then there's rumblings in the locker room. Like these, these guys are basically running the team now. Mm-hmm. What is what is this? You know, what about us? Yeah. What about the other? What about those yeah. foot soldiers? You know, so it there's a weird dynamic there. You want to cater to your top guys, but you don't want to expose yourself. I don't think yeah. as a GM or, or an owner. Wow. <laughs> okay, God. Jeff, what do you make of that? Well, one one I knew that. Um, in, in fact, Zach and I think Ryan too, but Zach for sure. So they both bought how I think they both bought lake houses. So, so Zach had the place that he sold, like, or tried to sell a couple of years back in Orono. And then they both bought houses in Edina to be closer to St. Paul, but then decided that they could practice at Braemar. And so, yeah. And, and that's why, because, so the country club got, got to be, if you can't beat them, join them. Eric Stahl moved to Edina. So they all, so as many guys as possible what? made this as simple on, themselves but this so this all goes back to the problem was right before those contracts got signed they they had hired mike yo as coach and yo was hired as coach from the houston team back then the affiliate in the american hockey league uh to bring along the young players and so then they bring zach and ryan in who are dominant veterans given these huge contracts and that's where it went sideways where they're like, we're going to run this entire team. So the problems that Tori Mitchell just documented there are the tip of the iceberg of why uh, these two became so despised and why nobody had a leg to stand on who said, you don't get it. Like all of this stuff was getting out and it was maddening. And it is it is as unconducive to trying to win in sports as you can possibly get. So why didn't, uh, ultimately, was it a Mike Yo, Chuck Fletcher? Like, the, the decision to move practice from the main facility, which is, they practice at the X, right? It was the X at the time. Yeah. They they, na- they now have the Tria rink, right? Yeah. yeah. Downtown 
St. Paul, but at the time it was, it was the X and their original practice home to be fair. <laughs> this place was a piece of work was parade ice gardens. So like, like they were practicing on the, on the West end of town originally. And then I, I think Zach and Suter were, were just like, let's put it right by our house. Yeah. So, I mean, but was that ultimately, was it a Mike Yo decision? Was it Leopold? You know, who decides, okay, yeah, we're going to go the next step and just cater to these guys and hold practice in well, Edina. Don't forget Ryan Suter purposely and very, because he's a smart dude, went and became best friends with Craig. So, so Ryan basically would go above Chuck's head to get what he thought was best. And so like Chuck became a puppet and yo was a puppet for sure. I mean, these guys literally brought in Adam Oates, during the offseason without telling the team to work on power play fundamentals that they were then sharing with teammates essentially behind Yo's back, and they didn't care. Like, think about that for a second. We're not talking a shooting coach. We're, so we're not, ta- we're not talking about going to get some personal instruction. The power play is a team-run system. So they have multiple guys, like, they were making up a power play unit of teammates and working with an outside consultant, basically. They, yep. they were going to bring in their ideas for what they thought was a better <laughs> power play than what the team ran. But, I mean, that would be that would be like if Cat went and got an offensive coach and privately said, I want you to install a system for us. So why, and, and why not go through the team? If you're, and I'm asking a bunch of maybe questions that you don't know the answer to, but, like, if you're a suitor in that spot, why don't you say, hey, Yozy, I think Adam Oates can really help our power play. I'd love to get the guys together and, you know, maybe we spend a couple of days with him. Like, did he do that? And Yo and Fletcher were like, no, we're not bringing Adam Oates on. He said, well, screw it. I'm going to do it on my own. Or does he just go rogue? Well, you're not. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that you would have to go rogue because that, that would be, again, that would be like um, Cousins, Thielen, and Jefferson going and hiring. Sean McVay, let's say he, he got fi- well, fired by the Rams. Well, they and should. Then, the Vikings and should then hire Sean McVay. If and then, but, but let's say they don't. And then coming and saying, you know, we got some <laughs> ideas here, Sean McVay told us. You know, it's just the, these two went rogue as much as possible. They ran the entire show. And, and listen, Koivu didn't help. Like, like, this is the whole thing that Dex and I were t- talking about for years here. Miko Koivu was one of the most ineffective captains of all time. Everybody was out for themselves. And like this, well, he's a stoic Finn. He's a stoic Finn who's out for himself. Yeah. Like, look at look at guys like Felino now, right? And and look at guys. And th- this is one of the reasons why uh, Bill Guerin last year brought in Benino and Cole yeah. was to purge the locker room. It was literally like... um. A, a, a um, Parisi and Suter vaccine. That's what that was. Like they had to vax the team against these two because these two were so influential and divisive. Like I can't tell you how much they, and they essentially turned that, a lot of that room into a cesspool. Like I, I'm not convinced that Coyle and Granlund and Zucker and that whole crew wouldn't have developed if they had different teammates. Yeah, God, that's it. It's so interesting because I think it was painted differently. I, I know, like, th- we, we talked about this quite a bit, and you you always had intel to sprinkle in throughout our show, but it always felt like largely Suter and Parisi were just held in such high regard, right? The media, the fans. 
And not that they have to be remembered as cancers, because I think there's a middle ground here. I mean, they did help this franchise get to the playoffs on a regular basis. But yeah, that is. story from Tory Mitchell, and he's not just speaking on his own, oh, this is what I think. Like, he's, he's speaking on behalf of everyone else in the locker room that also thought it was weird that the team was catering to those players so much. So, so how much, I mean, so the Wild, here they sit. You know, I just saw they, they shuffled lines this morning, too, which we can talk about, but um, they're second in the central in points right now. Uh, they haven't come anywhere near and correct me, correct the hockey whisperer. If he's wrong here, they haven't come anywhere near playing their best hockey yet. They sit 10 and five and they've got the second most points in the central. So what do you, let me ask you guys this and we can talk about this year's team. What do you think are the biggest differences in the post Parisi Suter era so far? Speed, uh, definitely speed. They are not as they are not as slowed and bogged down as they used to be with with the stalls and Koivu and Prezi and suitors of the world. Um, they're allowing their young players to have voices. They it, it, there's an off the ice different characteristic about them that I think is different. There's just a mantra that's different, which is too bad that we can't go in the locker room yet. They still give players and post game access, but when Judd and I would go in that locker room and and keep in mind, I, I'm a younger guy. Judd's been around more locker rooms than I've ever been. It wasn't even very hard for me to tell something seems off in this room when it was Parisi and Suter and Stahl and Koivu. Something just didn't seem right. It felt weird. It felt like walking on eggshells. Guys were afraid to say say things. Veterans really never told you much of anything. It just felt off. It seems to me that with Felino and Dumba as alternate captains that they're raising those guys' voices. Like Dumba, if you would have said two or three years ago, hey, by 2021, Matt Dumba's going to be an alternate captain, I would have said, what? There's no chance in hell Matt Dumba would be considered a leader in that room. But Matt Dumba's matured, and that that room, it lifts him up, and he also lifts up the other players in that room, that there's a different vibe around them. Um, In terms of on-the-ice product, yeah, I, I think mostly speed and just natural skill. But this team still does lack a true number one center. Um, they haven't played their best hockey, but they're still getting points, which is important. You're approaching the point in the NHL season where if you're in the top eight by Christmas time, I think it's like a 75% lock that you'll be in the postseason. Um, I th- Elliot Friedman had the stat yesterday that if you're outside the top eight by Thanksgiving time in, in, in the U.S., you only have like a 15% chance to be in the postseason by the end of the year. It really is that kind of weird how that works. If you get off to a hot start in the NHL, you're going to be in a in, in good position to make the playoffs. But I think speed and just natural skill. If they can find a true number one center, and it might be down with Marco Rossi, who is tearing it up in Iowa. He has 11 points in nine games. It might be internal there, but they have to figure out something to get Kaprizov and Fiala, too, um, going more. Kaprizov, um, I, I think thus far, and, and it's what, Dex, 15 teams in? It's not that far mm-hmm. in. Mm-hmm. Uh, has been a massive disappointment. He is so F- Fiala's stats aren't that impressive, and he still makes mistakes. But he's he's doing his job. Like he is, he is actively engaged. Kaprizov again against the Sharks. I don't know what's up, but I mean, he was he didn't back check. The, in fact, the first goal was partially his fault. Um, he's been he has not been an, even close to to the guy that that he was. And we love the theme of well, he's a superstar. He's being focused on now. One, as as Dean uh, pointed out post-game after the Sharks game, he was focused on about 15 games into last year. Because, like, once you prove to be good, it's not like, oh, let's ignore him till next year. The other thing is um, every superstar is focused on. That's why you get paid superstar money. Uh, so 
he's got to come around. But but the thing that I like about this team that the previous teams didn't have is basketball and football in particular have positions at which being selfish is almost okay. And mm-hmm. it's certainly not seen as like like if you have a if you have a receiver who's really good, he can be an oddball and selfish and and a me first guy, and he's not gonna divide things. Hockey's one sport where there's not really a position at which you, you can be a, a raging a-hole and be fine. Like you're going to be, you're either going to be called out for it or you're going to become a massive problem. And so the thing that I like about this team now is as poorly as Kaprizov is playing, and I don't know the first thing about him as a human being, uh, but this locker room is not going to tolerate him taking a star turn, which was the problem previously because though the way that Zach and Ryan acted, it was really hard to like, discipline players and be like well you can't act like them but they can that's not how this sport works uh so the one good thing is that i don't think they're going to have a problem with guys becoming problems as far as off the ice yeah interesting interesting so i don't know go check out if you if you want just if you want to hear more from tori mitchell uh the elevato 2 podcast is where he pulled that that clip from and um that interesting story about coddling Preezy and Suter. All right, every Thursday we also go into the archives. Declan finds incriminating tweets. It's old tweets exposed, presented by Federated Mutual Insurance Company. If you are a business owner out there and you're looking for just a better partner in terms of risk management and frontline protection, protecting your bottom line, protecting your employees, Federated is here to help you. Tons of tools and resources and people. Find out more at federatedinsurance.com. And remember, at Federated, it's our business to protect Yours, Declan. All right. What do you got? Old tweets exposed after so much talk of Tanner Morgan and go for football quarterbacks. I figured I'd go into the archives and see what was said. Good work, Declan. Tanner Morgan. No. Judd, you are first to the stand. Oh, yeah. I I deserve what I'm going to get here. These go for wide receivers are incredible, but Tanner Morgan also keeps making the throws. Oh, Morgan deserves a ton of credit. November eighth, twenty nineteen. Okay, I got a feeling. I I got a feeling that Phil has won about like a first round pick status, and so I feel pretty good about this one because at the time, at the time, this was true. I was a little bit concerned that I I might have thrown some draft pick credit. I'll tell you. I think can I can I call my shot here? Yeah. I think because I, I I remember I was. Man, I was just bathing in Gopher Kool Aid that season because that's the most fun Gopher football season of my life. I almost feel like it's unfair to ask anything else for another ten years. Just like they gave us a New Year's Day bowl win over Auburn, they beat an undefeated Penn State team. Unbelievable! The fans rushed the field like it was so much fun. And I remember at some point in the hoopla of that season, I tweeted something like something about how Tanner Morgan. You know, the Gophers have been looking for, like, a leader, you know. I don't know. I don't know what Dex has in store. But I basically said, like, he's the best Gopher quarterback of my life. Like, a great leader or something. Two tweets. October 26, 2019. Tanner Morgan is playing more confident than any Gopher quarterback I can remember. I remember tweeting that. That's accurate. 1985, by the way, in parentheses. And then I feel like most Gopher quarterbacks are just nervous wrecks who sale passes. Not Tanner Morgan. Helps have multiple future wide receivers to throw to. All right. I don't even know what Declan's tweet's going to be, but that second one right there. How would you describe Tanner Morgan this year? As a nervous wreck who sales passes, passes, right? Yes. 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 
You did it, Phil. This is all your fault. <laughs> How dare you guys pick on him? He's just a college kid, okay? Leave him alone. He's a good kid. Leave oh, him alone. He's a great okay, kid, yeah. but he's not good at quarterback. I'm a great guy, right, but I don't play quarterback. Um, all right, so yeah. I obviously... Go Husky St. Cloud State. I don't have a whole lot of gopher incriminating tweets, shockingly. Um, but I did I did find this one from a gopher quarterback take. It doesn't have to do with Tanner Morgan. It's a quote tweet uh, from Brian Cupito. Uh, I'm not a big gopher football guy, but Kalik was a baller. Super fun to watch. And it's a picture of Ryan Cupido saying, Great seeing the former star gopher quarterback, Assad Abdul Kalik. 2003 was the best year of any quarterback in the last 20 years. And it's a picture of these two. And I tweeted I this. Why didn't I tweet this? I don't know. That August I would 2019. Call... No. I don't think it's that incriminating. It's an interest. I'm glad you brought it to the table here. Um, I think it shows just how low our yeah. bar is for what a star gopher quarterback is. That the guy who handed off 50 times a game to three NFL running backs is considered like the gold the star quarterback of gopher Can football. I, the guy. Can I suggest that for the first time, in old tweets exposed, the person that wins is not on the screen right now. Brian Cupido might have just won. <laughs> he called Assad Abdul Khalik a star, and Chip's friends with him, so I can have Chip call him. Uh, but I mean, he he might have just won. So again, and Assad Abdul Khalik was a really good quarterback. He also He's threw a, de- a devastating pick six in that two thousand Michigan game, game against Michigan. But in the star. Summer, but- but, uh, yeah, he threw, you know, he, in his senior year, 2003, he threw, let's see here, uh, 17 touchdowns, five interceptions. But the 2003 Gopher football team literally had three NFL running backs. Well, mm-hmm. one was a fullback, Thomas DePay. And then they had uh, Lawrence Maroney and Marion Barber. So <laughs> Thomas DePay, just crazy eyes. What? Hey, Judd. What foot? My foot's uh, Yeah, fine. the coach just... Uh, yeah, the coach, coach just told us about your uh, the foot surgery that you're about yeah. to have. It looks like you're on crutches. My foot's not my foot's not sore at all. You like Stewie but Griffin. you're in a walking boot. But yeah, oh, it was it was super. It was like who, okay, you're a who fullback. told you that this isn't worth the conversation. I don't want to be injured. Um, yeah, I think Cupido wins. That's Dude, the most remarkable uh, thing I've ever seen. The Gophers Star. in 2003 had two. Thousand yard rushers. Oh God, yeah. And then they also had Thomas DePay, who ran for five yards a carry and almost six hundred yards. Hell, Asad Abdul Khalik ran for almost four hundred yards that season. So, yeah, I think uh, all right. Brian Cupido wins. Brian, it's incredible. That's a great tweet. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, nervous and sailing passes. Yeah. All right. Well, that's your reckless speculation. Actually, you know what? We got a couple minutes here. Declan, do you want to throw out – you want to save it. You want to save it. You have a reckless speculation Vikings idea. Should we? That might be something we save for I think we week. save because I want a long one, longer runway for it. I do. Okay. Oh, I do. oh I, I've got one quickly that, okay. that I read this morning that I think it's Vikings, but it can be a brief conversation. Reckless speculation. Uh, thrown out in a mailbag column done by uh, uh, Chad uh-huh. Graff, The Athletic. Phil broached this yesterday, but he didn't broach what Graf did, which is same people, different positions. What would you think of Mason Cole staying at center and Garrett Bradbury being moved to right guard? Chad Graf, not me. Why would... Threw that out there. Okay, that's interesting. Uh, I mean, Bradbury, did Bradbury play guard in college at NC State? I don't think so. 
I thought he was a center only, but I'm just well, saying we that know, we know Graf he's a bad center. Thought, and Graf might have gotten that from somebody. Like it, that could be that could be reckless speculation through sources. Yeah, I don't. I, I'm with you on that. I think I don't think you just guys like Graf are strategically gathering information correct. and disseminating it, right? It, correct, and it looks like their own idea, but it it might have come from inside. Well, we know that Bradbury is a bad center, so if. And I yep. think I think we've gone probably a little too far. Like Mason Cole hasn't been a total train wreck, and so you know, lock him up, five year extension. Right. Mason Cole might not be a good center either, but he's had a couple games that are just better than train wreck. Yep. So, and and as Alex Boone pointed out two weeks ago, he also missed a huge ID at the line of scrimmage on that third and nine that caused the blitz yeah. to get home. And yep. But if the starting point is you got to upgrade the center spot because that's where. Everything starts with Kirk Cousins. He just he needs some he needs more help at that position. And then figure out your guards. I guess I would be down for experimenting. And Ole Udo is second in the NFL in penalties among guards too. So he's he's grabby and he's gone train wreck, right? It's yeah, it's pretty like bad. I feel like it's I feel bad. like when you grab as much as he, he does and, and you basically sabotage plays. That you are, if, if you're not a complete train wreck, you're going train wreck. Yep. Yep. I think, well, let's put it this way. It was an if, interesting thought. If they don't play Mason Cole, if he just sits on the bench, it's a huge, I, I'm not going to say a huge mistake because he's not freaking, you know, he's not Matt Burke in his prime, but like find a way to get this offensive line is not very good. Mason Cole has been a breath of fresh air for the most part the last couple of years. So either find a place for him at guard or center and then figure the rest out. So I like Chad Graff. I do think I do think Mason Cole starts again on Sunday. So I, I think they're going to leave him there. Yeah. I just don't see how. Well, didn't not, Kirk Cousins say that Bradbury was running with the ones in practice? Uh, yesterday? Yeah, but, but the Star Tribune reported today that um, Cole appeared to work with the starting group during an offensive line drill in the portion of practice open. So Cousins might have. And I don't trust Kirk. Like there's a good chance that Kirk was told his cousin's yeah. putting up a center smoke screen. Just say well, these guys. These guys will lie. If you, you allow, know, we them might to, we might use two centers. Yeah. you don't know who's gonna have the it's ball. It's not. Hey, Phil. It's not Wednesday. It's not Thursday day. It's Saturday. No, no, Judd. It's Thursday. Saturday. You don't understand. It's Saturday. My foot. My foot's fine. Uh, yeah. But but you're you're on a you're in a wheelchair but, with a walking boot. But Thomas, they chopped they chopped your foot off. Yeah, that's why it's fine. Good. I'm good. Did to they go amputate Sunday. your entire left leg? My foot's fine. Who told you? Who told you it was sore? Anyway, I'm just saying Mason Cole has to start at center. I just I'm yeah. convinced he has to. Uh, get your feedback Friday questions in through the Score North app for tomorrow's show. We make the Friday show entirely about you guys and your questions, comments, critiques, whatever, and Judd's keys tomorrow. And don't forget daily Vikings conversations on Purple Daily. Score North app is a central hub for everything we do. We'll see you guys tomorrow. I'm Mackie and Judd. Happy Reckless Speculation Thursday. Reckless Speculation. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. The college football playoff committee made their decision on Sunday, and as much as I loathe the idea of Ohio State losing their way into the college football playoff, I 100% agree with OSU making it in over Bama. Nick Saban citing some hypothetical point spreads to prove his point that the tie deserve a spot in the college football playoffs holds little substance when you consider Bama's best win is over Texas. No, the committee got it right. TCU had a great season with far more ranked wins than Bama and didn't deserve to lose their spot after playing a surging Kansas State in a championship game. And Ohio State, while not playing some of their best ball later in the season, was still 12-0 until they came face-to-face with my Wolverines. 
While the college football playoff system isn't nowhere near as good as it could be, it's better than what we had. And in a few years, it will be better for all of college football. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From football to basketball to soccer and esports, we've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. And don't forget, BetOnline for the NHL, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline, where the game starts.